You're about to hear a message that was preached at Calvary Fellowship in Miramar, Florida. At Calvary, we exist to help people take their next step with God. And we pray that this message helps you do just that. We are so glad that you're here. You picked an amazing Sunday to be here. George Martinez, everyone. I thought he was going to come up. We were going to do some dope rhymes together with the mic. But I guess not. That'll be after service. So um, anyway, you guys, you picked an amazing Sunday to be here because uh, you're in for a treat. So just so you're aware, uh, we have a very special speaker. And um, uh, Dr. Frank Turek is not just the founder and president of uh, crossexamine.org, but he is speaking all over the place, uh, all over the country and all over the world, talking about the truths of the Christian faith. And, I, and I'll tell you this, before uh, I got to know Dr. Turek, he was really in many ways a mentor from, uh, from a distance for me. And um, he's someone that my daughter Mia and I listen to almost uh, every day still through his podcast, through his uh, YouTube channel. And uh, he's just constantly putting out content uh, to invest in anyone who will listen to uh, solidify and strengthen uh, your faith. And so uh, he was here with us about three years ago, and it was just so fantastic. We said we've got to have him back. So if you would, let's give a warm Calvary welcome to Dr. Frank Turek. Thanks, brother. Good morning, Calvary. Everyone you love will die. This is not my Joel Osteen opening, I'm just telling you right now. Everything you build will crumble. Everything you say will be forgotten. Everything you do will come to nothing unless God exists. You say, where am I getting this from? I'm actually getting it from the Bible. Solomon who, as you know, wrote many Proverbs, also wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, which basically says life is meaningless without God. In fact, here's what Solomon said. He said, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless, everything is meaningless. What does man gain from his labor at which he toils under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. He goes on to say, I toil my whole life, I get a bunch of wealth, I then die, I leave it to somebody else, and then he dies. What's the point? What is the point of life? Why are we even here? How about you? Bored? Here in sunny Florida? What's life all about? Is it meaningless? I mean, eventually, you're going to die. Then what? What's the point? How do you find hope? How do you find identity? That's what our culture appears to be struggling with right now. So what I want to do is talk about how can you find hope and identity? Look, you can only have two things in life. You can have hope or despair. Unfortunately, there's a lot of people that appear to have a lot of despair in our culture. Suicide is up. Alcohol use is up. Divorce is up, all indicators of unhappiness. Why is that? 
Well, we're going to try and do three things. First thing, we're going to talk about three possible paths that you can take to find hope and identity. Then we're going to talk about three seductive traps that you might get caught in if you're not careful while you're looking for hope and identity. And then we're going to talk about the one biblical answer. How do you really find hope and identity? So we're going to start here at point one, the three possible paths. You guys ready to go? You guys ready to go? Yeah. All right, good, good, good. There are three ways that you can find hope and identity. You can either look out to other people, you could look into yourself, or you could look up to God. Now, I'm leaving one way out. I don't think any of us wants to look down to Satan, okay? But you can either look out, get your guidance from other people. You can look in, look at your heart, see what your heart tells you, or you can look up to God. And different cultures have said different things about this as to which of these three paths is the right way. Ancient culture said, you look out to your family. You follow your family. If your father in ancient culture was a potter, you were a potter. If your father was a blacksmith, you were a blacksmith. If you were a woman, you took care of the home. You just followed what your family told you to do. You didn't have a lot of options. Modern culture isn't like that, though. Modern culture says you look in, you follow your heart. Whatever your heart tells you to do, you do. And don't let anyone tell you that you ought not follow your heart because you need to cross every stream. You need to swim every ocean. You need to climb every mountain. Was that the sound of music or was that some Disney movie? What was that? I don't know. But you get the idea, right? You've got to follow what your heart's telling you to really find hope and identity. Well, religious culture doesn't say that. Religious culture actually says follow the rules. Whatever the rules are, that's what you follow. Now, it might be surprising that none of these are the way uh, that you're supposed to find hope and identity as a Christian. Following the rules is not your hope and identity. We'll get into what the right way is here at the end. But I want to really spend a lot of time on point two here. Follow your heart. Because that's what our culture says, right? Follow your heart. Whatever your heart tells you, you need to do. And why do we think this? Well, we have this idea that if there is an idea or a desire on our heart, that that or idea or, designer is, or, or desire is who we are. This is particularly true on the sexual issues, right? If you have some sort of sexual desire or idea on your heart, that's the real you. That's the authentic you, and you need to follow that. That's what the culture says anyway. And unfortunately, this idea has made its way into some in the church, not here at Calvary Fellowship. Pastor Bob's not saying this, but there are people who are saying, yeah, whatever you really feel in your heart, that's the true you. You need to follow that. And you know what that is? I think the new religion in America is more meology than theology. It's all about what I want, what God, I don't I care really what God wants. What I want to do is what I want to do, and God needs to adjust to me. You see, we're not made in his image. According to these people, God is made in our image. Whatever we want is what goes. This is meology, not theology. Now, the truth of the matter is, is that you are not what you think about. You are not the desires on your heart. You need to separate these two things. In fact, your identity is in not whatever you think about. If you were what you thought about, most men would be women and most women would be chocolate. <laughs> right? 
So you're not what you think about. You say, well, but what about this idea of following your heart? Following your heart without moral restraint is a terrible idea for at least three reasons. Here are the three reasons we're going to say that you ought not follow your heart without moral restraint. First of all, your heart and my heart is selfish and deceitful. Number two, your heart is conflicting. On one hand, your heart wants this. On the other hand, your heart wants something 180 degrees out. Which one are you going to follow? Also, your heart is changing. Your heart changes over time. So if you set your heart on something when you're a teenager, that's probably not what your heart's going to be set on when you're 30 or 40. So what do we do? So let's look at each one of these three in order. Our hearts are selfish and deceitful. And to illustrate this, suppose you got up this morning to get ready to come to church here and you went into the bathroom to get ready and you looked into the mirror and you saw that there was a sign attached to your head and it transmitted your every thought in big LED letters. You couldn't turn the sign off, you couldn't cover it. No matter where you went, everybody could read every thought that came across your mind. Would you be sitting here right now if that was the case for you? No. I wouldn't be up here either. Why? Because our hearts are evil. This is why God had to bring a great flood, by the way. Some of you will get that tomorrow, all right? Our hearts are deceitful and wicked. This is why, by the way, you can't remember somebody's name when you first meet them. Because your heart is thinking negative thoughts about the other person. You're meeting them going, hi, that's the ugliest shirt I've ever seen, right? Where'd you get that uh, haircut? Walmart? I mean, you're not thinking positive thoughts. You're judging them. You're thinking negative thoughts. You may have been thinking, do I even want to know this person? Can this person help me in some way? If not, I don't really care, right? Unless your mind has been renewed by Christ, your heart is evil, selfish, and deceitful. And even when it has been renewed, we still have a sin nature. I mean, we know this with kids, right? It's easy to be bad. It's hard to be good. You don't have to teach a two-year-old to say mine. He already knows that. You have to teach a two-year-old to share, right? Because our hearts are bent toward evil. And the scriptures talk about this a lot. In fact, Jeremiah put it this way. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Jesus said something similar when he said, it's not what goes into a man that makes him unclean. It's what comes out of a man. The desires and thoughts of his heart. He talks about theft, sexual immorality, jealousies, all sorts of evil that comes from inside, comes inside to outside. Our hearts are evil. And this is universal. You might think, oh, I'm a pretty good person. No, you're not. No, you're not. You might be better than your neighbor, but that doesn't make you good. We're all bent toward evil. It's 100%. We're all sinful. In fact, the Babylon Bee posted this headline recently. Study finds 100% of men would eat any fruit given to them by a naked woman. (laughs) Right? Men, you know you wouldn't do any better than Adam, would you? You'd have taken the fruit too. So what have I? Why? Because our hearts are evil. We're selfish. We want what we want when we want it. Follow your heart without moral restraint is terrible advice. 
In fact, the Bible says exactly the opposite than follow your heart. In fact, I think this next verse I'm going to show you is probably the most important verse in our culture other than the, the gospel itself. It actually comes from the Old Testament. This is from Proverbs, Proverbs 4.23, which says this, Above all else, guard your heart because everything you do flows from it. Above all else, guard your heart. Notice it doesn't say follow your heart. It says guard your heart. Why? Because if you follow your heart without moral restraint, you're going to wind up dead eventually, a lot sooner than you ought to die. You're going to wind up busting up every relationship you've ever had. You're going to wind up doing things that you wish later you hadn't done because you can't follow your heart without moral restraint. You need to guard it. So that's the first reason we can't follow our heart. The second reason we can't follow our hearts is because our hearts are conflicting. Yeah, you want that donut, don't you? But you also want to be thin. You also want to be healthy. You can't have both. Right? On one hand, your heart's saying, eat this. On the other hand, your heart's saying, don't. You want to have financial security, don't you? But on the other hand, you see that new shiny thing and you go, I really want that. Well, what are you going to do? Are you going to buy the new shiny thing and go into debt and jeopardize your financial security? Or are you going to be financially secure and not buy it? Your heart's telling you two different things. You may love somebody, right? I want to commit to you forever. But you know when you do that, you're walling off a whole nother opportunity that you might, your heart might want you to have too. You might want to be independent. Well, you can't be independent if you get married. In fact, when I got married, it totally put a big damper on my dating life. <laughs> you can't have it both ways. You can't be married and committed to a person and follow that heart and on the other hand, also follow the heart that says, I want to be independent and do what I want when I want to do it. Can't do it. You got to choose. Your heart's conflicting. Oh, I want kids. I want a family. I don't want kids. They cost a lot of money. And they're a pain. It took me like an hour extra to get them ready to come here today. Right? I mean, on one hand, you want the family. On the other hand, you don't. Can you rent families? You probably can't do that, can you? No. Your heart is telling you to do two different things. What are you going to do? You can't just follow it without moral restraint. Oh, you want the big career. You want the big promotion. Yet it's going to take a lot more time out of your life than if you stay where you are. And by the way, you can't be at that, on that business trip on Tuesday night and also be at your son's Little League game. What are you going to choose? Your heart's conflicting. You got to make a choice. And if you choose one thing, it means you got to restrain yourself from the other. In fact, C.S. Lewis put it best when it came to restraint. Here's what he said. Surrender to all our desires obviously leads to impotence, disease, jealousies, lies, concealment, and everything that is the reverse of health, good humor, and frankness. For any happiness, even in this world, quite a lot of restraint is going to be necessary. No matter what you want to do, if you want to be successful at it, you're going to have to restrain yourself because you can't follow your heart without moral restraint. You can't just do whatever you want when you want to do it. So our hearts are deceitful and selfish. Our hearts are conflicting. 
And finally, the reason that, another reason, there's more than this, but another reason you can't just follow your heart without moral restraint is your hearts are changing. There's been a four to 6,000 percent increase in young girls claiming to be trans over the past decade. Why? Do you think there's something new in biology that's causing this? No, this is what's causing it. It's social media contagion. It's a social contagion. A decade ago, as Abigail Schreier points out in her book, Irreversible Damage, How the Transgender Craze is Seducing Our Daughters, she said a decade ago, so-called gender dysphoria, and some people truly do experience this. It's a very difficult problem. But she said a decade or so ago, it, it, it afflicted maybe one in 10,000 men usually men. So a man has a psychological mismatch between you know, his mind and his body. He, he's obviously a man, but he thinks he's a woman, gender dysphoria. He, she's, Abigail Schreier said, now there's a four to 6,000 percent increase in this, and it's now mostly women, young women, young girls, high school age, who now think they're men. And she said, in some schools I visited, there are as many as 30% of the girls claiming that they're trans. How did we go from one in 10,000 men to now 3,000 in 10,000 girls claiming to be trans? It's a social contagion. As, you, as a young person, what, what do you want more than anything? You want, to be, you want to fit in. You want to be accepted. That's what you want. I get that. I was a young person once. Can't remember that far back, but... You want to fit in, right? What's the fastest way to fit in in today's society? Claim you're trans. Everyone is going to applaud you. Anybody who says what you're doing is going to be harmful to you long-term is going to be shouted down and canceled. That's the fastest way to make it happen. Look, when you're young, you have this angst. You're growing up. You want to find your place in the world, and you think, well, maybe if I just claim I'm trans, maybe this will solve my angst. It's not going to solve your angst. It's going to create more. That's what the data show. In fact, 80% of young people that have this idea, by the time they hit 18, they've grown out of it. And yet we have people even in our government saying, you have to administer gender-affirming care. You know what that means? That means if a young person claims they're another sex, another gender, you need to affirm that. That would be like affirming in an anorexic that they're fat. If someone's anorexic, you don't give them liposuction. That doesn't help them. But that's essentially what we're doing with people who experience gender dysphoria. We are changing them forever now with Have you guys heard of Lupron? Do you guys know what Lupron is? Lupron is a drug we used to use to chemically castrate sex offenders. You know what we're doing with it now? We're giving it to young people to block puberty, which means we are at risk of making them sterile forever. And this is supposed to be care? It's not care, it's madness, it's child abuse. There are some young girls who, without their parental uh, consent in, in Oregon, are getting top surgery. 
having double mastectomies at 13 years old. And we're supposed to applaud this as a society? If you want to help people, that's not the way to help them. Especially when the problem's probably going to go away in a few years. I don't know if you've heard this before, but the folks who are claiming that gender is completely fluid, that transgenderism shows that gender is fluid, that's not true. Why? Transgenderism presupposes fixed genders. Because if I'm a man, but I think I'm a woman, I have to have some idea of what a man is and some idea of what a woman is to know the difference. Secondly, I also, if I want to make the so-called transition, I have to have some idea of what a man is and some idea of what a woman is in order to make the transition. And the reality is you can change your psychology, you can't change your biology. And yet we're telling young people they can do that. That's a fantasy world that actually is hurting people everywhere. And if we truly love them, we're going to tell them that. I don't know if you've also noticed, but within the LGBTQ community, there's a bit of a civil war going on. Why? Because if the T's have their way, that gender is completely fluid, the L's, the B's, and the G's don't exist. Why? How can you be a lesbian, gay, or bisexual if there are no genders? You can't. The feminists aren't too happy with this either. Why? Because if there are no genders, there are no women. And if there are no women, there are no women's rights. This is completely internally contradictory. And yet, many of us are just going along with it. We're not helping people when we do that, ladies and gentlemen. We're not loving them. Love does not require approval. We think love requires approval. No, love does not require approval. In the passage that everybody reads at their wedding, but nobody obeys, 1 Corinthians 13, what does Paul say? Love always protects. Love rejoices in the truth. Love perseveres. That means you can't approve of things that are going to hurt people. I mean, how many, how many parents do we have in here? All right, how many former children do we have in here? Okay, that's everybody, right? If your parent approves of everything you want to do as a child, is that parent loving? No, the parent is unloving. If you want to love somebody, you need to stand in the way of evil, not applaud it. So love does not require approval. Love requires you to tell people the truth. In fact, even people who are very liberal politically and are even atheists like Bill Maher are starting to get this. You guys know who Bill Maher is? A number of years ago, I was on a show, Politically Incorrect, a few times. And a month or two ago, he had a segment called Along for the Pride. And he was pointing out how different generations claim to be LGBTQ in increasing numbers. And he says, if this trend continues, we'll all be gay by 2060. <laughs> okay. What's he pointing out? He's pointing out that this is a social contagion. It has nothing to do with biology. It has everything to do with people being applauded for claiming to be a certain way, to have a certain identity. And he says, we're not helping people by claiming they're all in the wrong bodies. To, by claiming that whatever they think they are, they are. In fact, he said, when I was a kid, I wanted to be a pirate. 
It's a good thing my parents didn't take me for eyeball removal and peg leg surgery. (laughs) But he's making the point. In fact, the great intellectual Thomas Sowell, who's now 92 years old, said this recently. And he's seen a lot of generations. Here's what he said. Ours may become the first civilization destroyed, not by the power of our enemies, but by the ignorance of our teachers and the dangerous nonsense they are teaching our children. In an age of artificial intelligence, they are creating artificial stupidity. Now, this is not an indictment on all teachers, ladies and gentlemen, but it's certainly an indictment on some who are against the parents' wishes trying to affirm these young confused people in gender dysphoria. All right. Now, now that that cheery section's over. Oh, by, by the way, there's one more thing I need to talk about here. With regard to changing, the idea that your, your hearts change, Tim Keller, the pastor from New York City who recently retired, uh, said this. He said, do you ever notice that when you think back at your earlier self, that you kind of look back at your earlier self with a bit of disdain? Like, for example, uh, when you're 15, you probably look back at your 10-year-old self and go, you know, I was kind of an idiot when I was 10, right? Then when you hit 20, you look back at your 15-year-old self and you go, I was an idiot when I was 15. When you hit 30, you probably look back at your 20-year-old self and you go, I, I didn't have it all together. I was kind of an idiot when I was 20. You know what this means, according to Keller? No matter what age you are now, you're an idiot. Because you're always going to look back at your earlier self and go, I didn't have it all together. Now, thankfully, this slows down. When you get older, like I'm 60 now, you know, and I, I don't look back at my 50-year-old self and say, say I was an idiot because I, I had my priorities set by then. But generally, when you're young, this happens. And a year or two years can seem like an eternity because you're growing when you're young. And it makes no sense to make unalterable life decisions about a desire that you have when the desire's probably going to change in a few years anyway. So, how about the three seductive traps? A friend of mine, Jay Warner Wallace, is a cold case homicide detective who, li- who lives out in California. And he's been on Dateline more than any other cold case detective because he solves murders that are decades old. Jim is also a Christian, and he and I do a lot of work together. He wrote a book called Cold Case Christianity. In fact, if you go to his website, coldcasechristianity.com, you can read about this. And he took his homicide skills and applied them to the greatest homicide of all time, the homicide of Jesus. And he talked about the evidence for it and what we can conclude from it in the book, Cold Case Christianity. Anyway, Jim says whenever he finds a dead body that he knows has been murdered, he doesn't have to look for a thousand reasons why the guy's been murdered. He says... There's only three reasons, or com- one of the three, or a combination of the three, that this guy's dead. There was either a sex issue, a money issue, or a power issue. Sex, money, and power. Those are the three things that can motivate people to murder. In fact, those are the three things that motivate any of us to sin. Why? Because sex, money, and power are good things, but they're so good that we'll sometimes take shortcuts to get them. And so if we're going to say that we want to follow, we want to find our hope and identity, 
We've got to make sure we're not pulled off track by one of these three motivators, sex, money, or power. And by the way, power includes a big umbrella, could be pride, could be uh, recognition, could be people applauding you on the internet, approval, That's all that comes under power. And this is exactly what the Bible teaches. In fact, John, who wrote 1 John, says this in 1 John 2. Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. The world is passing away and also its lust, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. Notice, the lust of the flesh, sex, the lust of the eyes, uh, the lust of the eyes, money, and the boastful pride of life, power. That's all that's in the world, sex, money, and power. All good things, but they can also motivate us to do evil. So we have to be aware of these three traps, these three seductive traps. And even Hollywood, when they put out a blockbuster movie or series of movies, recognizes that sex, money, and power don't ultimately satisfy and they also recognize that you can't just follow your heart without moral restraint. The movies that really inspire are the ones where the person doesn't follow their heart, but follows the truth. In fact, my son and I just wrote a book called Hollywood Heroes, How Your Favorite Movies Reveal God. My son's in the Air Force. He's a major in the Air Force. He's also been to seminary. Anyway, we found out that these movies and heroes, Captain America, Iron Man, Harry Potter. Harry Potter? Yeah, you'd be surprised. Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, Batman and Superman, and Wonder Woman, all copy from the ultimate hero, Jesus. And many of these heroes point out that you don't follow your heart. You guard your heart. In fact, let me use uh, my favorite out of all these characters, Iron Man. How many have seen any of the Iron Man movies? Okay, the Avenger movies? Okay, Iron Man. Well, Tony Stark, who turns out to be Iron Man, starts out as a playboy, billionaire arms dealer who's all in it for himself, right? You never think this guy's going to be a hero. He just wants what he wants when he wants it. And he's got the big three. He's got sex, money, and power. The problem is he's miserable. Why? Because he has no hope and no identity. He, don't know, he doesn't know who he is. He doesn't know why he's here. He doesn't know what he should be doing. He has everything to live with, but nothing to live for. Then one of the weapons he sells to terrorists detonates near him and puts shrapnel in his chest. And he has to have a device installed in the middle of his chest to guard his heart from encroaching shrapnel. If that device fails, he dies. Now, for me, this is a beautiful picture of what the Bible talks about, that we need to guard our hearts, not follow our hearts. Now, I don't think the movie writers intended this to be, but they're living in God's universe, and they realize what resonates with people and what doesn't. Then, if you watch the rest of the movies, Tony goes on from this selfish playboy amoral arms dealer on this great big character arc until he gets to Endgame and then, spoiler alert, have you seen Endgame yet? Okay, at Endgame, Tony Stark, Iron Man, is there with his Avenger buddies and he has to take out the evil Thanos and what does he do to take him out? 
he sacrifices himself to defeat the Satan figure Thanos. And that was inspiring. In fact, I know some of you teared up when Tony Stark died. You did, didn't you? But imagine if at Endgame, instead of that, Tony Stark and his Avenger buddies saw Thanos, and in the last scene he said, hey guys, I'm just not feeling it today. I don't want to take on Thanos. In fact, I got to get back to following my heart and taking care of just me. I'm out. And then the movie ended. Who would have, gone, who would have said, wow, that's inspiring? He followed his heart. He turned tail and ran. Nobody would go, wow, that was great. What inspires is not following your heart. What inspires is following the truth to the point that you will sacrifice yourself to save others. That's, of course, what Jesus does. So all of these films here are in some way a derivative of the greatest story ever told. Even Hollywood gets it. By the way, the movies that are trying to push some sort of political agenda, like I just heard, in fact, Bob, you were telling me this last night, weren't you? We were talking about Batgirl. Did you hear Batgirl just got canceled yeah. after $70 million investment because it was just trying to push a political agenda? And it, when they had the focus group, I guess, showing for it, everyone hated it? They're living in God's world just like we are. We know what inspires people. It's not selfishness. It's not following your heart. It's doing what's right for the sake of others. So above all else, guard your heart because everything you do flows from it. All right, last point. What's the one biblical answer? We know we got three possible paths, out, in, or up, three seductive traps, sex, money, and power. What's the one biblical answer? Well, we're going to look up. And in order to figure out what we should do, we need to know what the purpose of life is. What is the purpose of life? This is the interactive portion of the program here. What, what is the purpose of life? Why are we here? Serve God and what? Serve God to love him and serve and love others to love one another. Close. I hope I got that close. Anyone else? Glorify God. Where does the Bible say that? That's the Westminster Confession. I'm not saying it's false, but what does it even mean to glorify God? Oh, you guys are sounding like Charlie Brown's teacher right now. <laughs> I think Jesus told us what the real purpose of life is when he prayed in the great priestly prayer, his high priestly prayer in John 17. He's praying for us. Here's what he says. Now this is eternal life that they, meaning us, he's praying for us, that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you sent. In other words, the purpose of life is to know God. And he doesn't just mean intellectually. Just, oh yeah, I know that God exists. See, there's a difference between belief that and belief in. Belief that is just intellectual. Belief in is not only intellectual, but personal, volitional. You can know that something's true, but still not trust in it, right? We know this in relationships, don't we? There's a difference between belief that and belief in. When I first met my wife 37 years ago, I got evidence that she would be a good wife, but all the evidence in the world didn't make her my wife. I had to take a step of trust in her to ask her to be my wife. And in a momentary lapse of judgment, she said yes, see? <laughs> 
That's the difference between belief that and belief in. In fact, even James, the half-brother of Jesus, who wrote that little book in the New Testament called? You guys are not real sharp this morning. Come on. He wrote, even the demons know that God exists, but they tremble. They know that God exists intellectually better than we do, but they don't want to trust in him. Why? They don't want to trust in him. So Jesus is not talking about intellectual, oh, I know that God exists. He's talking about knowing him personally and trusting in him. And then if you add the Great Commission to this, to go therefore make disciples of all nations, our purpose is to know God and make him known. That's why we're here. That's why Calvary Fellowship exists, to know God and to make him known. That's why we're here. So, what's the message we want to get to people so they can know God and make him known? One big message in our world of people looking for hope and identity is to say that, well, this idea that you are what you think about isn't true, except for one exception, and here's the one exception. When you look at what Jesus did for you, and you receive what he did for you. You accept. You don't just believe that it happened, but you appropriate it for yourself. Then what God does is when he looks at you, he doesn't even see you. He sees Jesus. In other words, when you accept Jesus, you're not only forgiven, but you're given his righteousness. That's your identity. Your identity is what he did for you, not what you do for him. And in our culture, we're all trying to achieve our identity. Stop trying to achieve your identity. If you have to achieve your identity, all the pressure's on you. And there's always somebody that can do it better. And if you put your identity in something temporal, that's going to go away. If you put your identity in another person, like some other person's going to complete you, what happens if that person doesn't meet your expectations? He or she won't because they're fallen. What happens when they leave you? What happens when they die? You no longer have an identity? If you put your identity in your job, what happens when you lose your job? You no longer have an identity? If you put your identity in your sexual preference, what happens when you're no longer sexually preferred? You no longer have an identity? No, your identity is not in something you achieve. Your identity is in what you receive. You don't achieve it, you receive it. And John, who was a eyewitness of Jesus and wrote a biography we call the Gospel of John said this he said yet to all who did receive him to those who believed in his name he gave the right to become a child to become children of God so your identity is in Christ you don't achieve it you receive it so we're all equal in that regard we're all equally righteous because of what Christ has done for us so your hope and your identity comes from what Christ did for you, not what you do for him. This is why Christianity is not about following the rules. Christianity is about accepting the free gift that Christ has given you. And then as a result of that, you will obey his commands out of gratitude for what he's done for you. But you obeying his commands do not achieve you your identity. You just get it for nothing. It's free. So why wouldn't you take it? So what are the three possible paths? Out, in, up. What are the three seductive traps? 
sex, money, power, all good things. They're to be used properly in the right context, but they can pull you off track of finding your hope and identity. And what's the one biblical answer? You need, I need to know God and to make him known, to receive what he's provided us, not to achieve it, to receive it. Now, if you want to go further here, I want you to text the word evidence to 855-909-0582, 855-909-0582, because I'm going to send you this entire PowerPoint presentation and about five other PowerPoint presentations in a PDF format. If you just text the word evidence to that phone number, even for you people out there watching in your pajamas at home, you can even do this. In fact, the I don't have enough faith to be an atheist PowerPoint presentation in a PDF format is 362 slides long. I'm going to send you the whole thing. You can look at it whenever you want. All right. Now, the book is available on the book table, Hollywood Heroes. And I want to point out all the proceeds and the sale of the books will go to feed needy children. Mine. Okay. <laughs> Just so you know. Makes a great Christmas gift. We're coming up to Christmas, aren't we? Now, if you really want to get particularly your young people more interested in God and Christianity, check it out. And uh, let's end where we began. Let's all read this together because this is the essence of the message. Here it is. Ready? Above all else, guard your heart because everything you do flows from it. Father, I pray that if there are people here who've never received the free gift that you've provided, that today would be the day they would. We don't achieve anything. We simply receive what you have achieved for us. I also pray for Pastor Bob, the entire team here at Calvary Fellowship. And I pray that this week we'd be better ambassadors for you as we go out and try and not only know you, but make you known to the world. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If today you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's one of the best decisions you've ever made. And we as a church want to help you with your next steps. You see, we have a free gift we'd like to give you. And in order for you to receive that gift, all you have to do is visit mycalvary.com forward slash begin. Don't forget to tune in next week for our next podcast. God bless you.